Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all here today. And as has been alluded to already, we've been in a season of thanks this last week. And today is finally the end of Money Month here at Bachelor Creek, which gives you another reason to be thankful, right? That we're finally done with this series talking about money. Now, really, in all seriousness, my hope and goal and prayer for this series has not just been that you will view your money through different lenses, but that you will actually use your money in different kinds of ways. And I really think that today you're going to enjoy this message because we're going to end somewhere that you really didn't see coming. Now, I'm going to start today where I've started for the last three weeks. It's like this drum that we're just beating incessantly up here, okay? So when it comes to money, did Jesus talk about money a little or a lot? A lot. And the reason why he talked about it a lot is because he knows that every single human being, we all are going to have a relationship with money in our life. And that relationship with money, for some of you, is healthy and it's positive and it's good. But for others of you, your relationship with your money is unhealthy, and it's bad, and it just causes a lot of stress inside of you. In fact, some of you, through this series, you might have even been struggling with some of the things that we're talking about, because you know where God wants you to be, and you know where you are, and where he wants you to be and where you are just seems like this unbridgeable gap. You just don't know how you're going to get there. And I get it, trust me. And that's why Jesus talked about money so much. Not because he wants something from us, but because he wants something, say it with me, for us. He wants something for us. And here's what I know. There's three groups of people, really, that are represented here today. There are those people who who would say to me this morning, or, or each week you're kind of saying inside your mind, yes, Solomon, preach it, tell them. Because throughout my life, I've been faithful and giving, and God has proven to provide, and God has proven to come through. And when I've given, when I've given the tithe, God has thrown open the floodgates of heaven, and he's blessed me so that I've not went without. That's what some of you are saying. You're kind of cheering me on so that other people can be blessed like you have. Others of you are in a position where you might start taking some steps of faith now to get to that level, right? In fact, I got a message from somebody from church this last week, and here's what they said. They said, my wife and I have read ahead each week during this series on tithing. Since the second week, we have doubled our giving and have not missed it. We are still not up to the 10%, but getting closer. We hope by the new year, we will be there, praying God will help us in this area. You know what I know about that couple? And other couples who are making those same strides to get to where God wants them to get, here's what I know about them. They are in for a blessing. Because God promises in Malachi 3, do you remember what we talked about? He says, test me in this, lay it all on the line, and I will prove myself faithful. You test me in this, God says, and I will throw open the floodgates of heaven, and I will pour out so much a blessing on you that you won't even be able to contain it. It's going to be overflowing. And that's not just an Old Testament promise. Here's how Jesus said it in the New Testament, in Luke 6. Here's what Jesus said. Give, and you will what? Say it with me. Receive. It's reciprocal. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. 
So that's the other group of people, okay? Those who are taking steps of faith to get to a certain level. And then there's that third group, and we talked about this in week two. There's that group of people who are stiff-arming me, right? But I told you in week two, I'm okay with stiff arms because all a stiff arm is is a potential high five, right? It's just a matter of moving it from here right to here. And my hope is that today, those of you who might be stiff arming, those of you who might not be convinced yet, by the end of the day, you're going to be high fiving on the way out, okay? So, Christ does not just want to rescue us from something when it comes to our money, He wants to rescue us to something. He wants you and I to be rich toward God. And to be rich toward God means cultivating a new mindset. It means cultivating a new heart. Where we see that everything God has poured into my life in terms of money and wealth and riches and everything that comes through my hands, I don't see myself as the owner and possessor of those things. That the key word is not mine. The key word is that I am simply a steward, that it's all his. He's entrusted it to me for a season, and I release it as a steward, that it's not mine as an owner to possess. I've just been entrusted with it for a while. And in Luke 12, verse 21, Jesus sums up this story about the guy who had the bumper crop, and he says, you know what, my, my, my barns are too small, what should I do? I'm going to tear down my small barns, and I'm going to build bigger barns. And then I'll say to myself, you've got enough stored up for the future, so eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus says, man, that guy is a fool. And here's why. Luke 12, 21. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Again, the problem was not the size of this guy's barns. Don't make that mistake. The problem was he had no room in his heart for God. So I'm really excited to bring you today a message that I think will be very helpful. Because here's what I know. As I look out at the sea of people before me this morning, I know that we are all over the map when it comes to our relationship with money. For some of you, your relationship with money is stressful and it's burdensome, and you've just been kind of holding on like this these four weeks that we've been talking about this. Others of you, when it comes to money, it's fun, it's peaceful, it's joyful, your relationship with money, because we're just kind of all over the map when it comes to that. In the same way, here's what I know. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we're all over the map in here. There's, there's some people in here who are, are seasoned saints, right? You love Jesus, you talk to Jesus, you walk with Jesus, you, you talk about Jesus to others. You are just living in this rhythm of life with Jesus. Others of you, you're still on a journey trying to figure out. You love Jesus and you know Jesus, but you're still on a journey trying to figure out what does it look like daily for Jesus to be Lord, and I'm no longer Lord of my life. And there's others of you today who just aren't convinced about Jesus yet. Maybe some of you came in this morning and you would even call yourself an atheist. You're just not convinced. And if that's you, welcome, okay? But I know that we're all over the board in here today in regards to that. But here's what I know. Regardless of where you are in your relationship to Jesus, we all have one thing in common. We all have one thing that unites us. One thing that I can confidently say this morning 
that we are all in agreement on, whether we are a seasoned saint, whether we are learning the ropes of the Christian faith, whether we're just an attender, or whether we are not even a believer, we all want the same thing when it comes to money, no matter where you are. And here's what's going to blow your mind today. God wants the same thing too. You and I and God, no matter where you are on the spiritual spectrum, we all want the same thing with our money. Now, this is where some of you, your brain cells are going to start to kick in. And you're going to be like, now, wait a minute, Solomon. I don't know about that because it seems like a lot of times where God's at and where I'm at and, you know, it just is very, very far apart. And I've learned that often what I want is not what God wants, so I have to kind of get over on the same page with God because often he and I are not on the same page. And that might be true of some things in your life, but I assure you it's not true of this thing. When it comes to this thing this morning, you start on the same page where God is already at. And that's why I'm glad you're here. Because again, whether you're a seasoned saint, whether you're just learning the ropes, whether you're a non-believer, whether you're an atheist, we all want the same thing when it comes to our money. So, what does God want you to do with your money? I know what immediately some of you think. You think I'm setting you up and you think, I know he wants us to tithe. And you would say it with about as much enthusiasm as that, right? But would an atheist say that? Would somebody who's not even a Christian say that? There are people who even are Christians who wouldn't say that, right? So we know that that's not what it is because we're all over the map. So that's not it. So let me show you from the Bible itself, from Scripture, this is not my conjecture. This is from Scripture what God wants from each and every person that he wants the same thing you want when it comes to your money. Look what it says in 1 Timothy six seventeen. Teach those who are rich in this world. And we settled this question last week, right, about who is rich. And if you weren't here last week, pretty much, if you know you're going to eat today or tomorrow, you are wealthy by the world's standards. In fact, I read an article this past week that said the average American, the average American is 90 times wealthier, richer than the average historical human being. 90 times richer. I know some of you might push back and say, yeah, Solomon, but we're not, I'm not Carmel rich. I'm not Geist rich. I'm not Rowan rich, right? And that was just to make sure you were listening, right? Some of the people from Rowan are like, oh, yeah, we finally get the recognition we deserve in here. So you might push back a little bit saying, well, I'm not at that caliber. Look, trust me. You are rich according to the world's standards, every single one of us in this room today. So what does Paul say here? He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And right there, it all comes together. What you want, what I want, what the atheist wants, what God wants when it comes to our money is to enjoy it. God wants us to enjoy our money. Like Solomon, does the Bible really say that? 
Or did you have too many K-cups of coffee this morning? It really says that. It's right there. And of all the things in Scripture that we read, that we might be tempted to think, well, there's got to be some sort of a catch, there's some sort of fine print, or there's a clause to that. Nope. Enjoy it. How much of it? 100%, 100% of the time. That's what God wants. That's what you want. That's what I want. The good news is this morning, God wants it for you even more than you want it for yourself. Now, did you notice something? Who does this sound like? that we've been studying for the past several weeks. It sounds like the main character in this story that we've been studying, right? The barn guy. He's just setting himself up to enjoy 100% of it 100% of the time. Because remember the conclusion he came to? He said in Luke 12, 19, I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. He's just setting himself up to enjoy it. But was he able to live the dream, folks? No. Because he went about it all the wrong way, and that night he died. So listen to me this morning. Wherever you are with God, Christian, non-Christian, attendant, atheist, there's probably at least one verse that every single person knows, no matter where they are on the spiritual spectrum. I'll give you a hint. It's that verse that you typically see behind the field goal post of a football game. You know what verse I'm talking about? What is it? John 3.16. Okay, that's the one verse that most people typically know. So let's look to see what John 3.16 says. And we're going to deduce some things about God from this, okay? For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have, what? Eternal life. You know what you call someone who gives? You call them a giver. So if you don't know anything else about God, here's what you can know about God from the one verse that generally everybody knows. He's a giver. And he gives out of this abundance, overflowing kind of love that he has for humanity. And out of that, he just stretches his arms out with open hands and he gives. Now, the passage that I just showed you from 1 Timothy, showing you that God wants for you everything that we want for ourselves, that I want to enjoy it, you want to enjoy it, and lo and behold, God wants me to enjoy it. I want you to see what else that says about this God who gives, okay? Look with me at 1 Timothy 6, 17 again. Their trust should be in God who, say the word with me, richly. Say it again, richly. Say it real loud, richly. Their trust should be in God who richly gives. Notice it's not just giving. No, this is richly gives us all we need for our in. God gives a lot. You can't outgive God. He's the best giver in the universe, and good givers always want the same thing. They want the recipients of their gifts to enjoy them 100% and 100% of 
the time. When we're getting ready to come up upon the greatest gift-giving season in our calendar year, and when that little boy or that little girl in your family opens up the present and they pull out that toy or that device or something and you see them smiling and you see them playing and they're happy and they're hee-hee and ha-haing, you don't say, tamper down the enjoyment, right? You don't do that. You're like, yeah, you enjoy that? Yeah, oh, I thought about you and I wanted you to have that and I'm so glad that you like it. I'm so glad you're having fun and you just relish the fact that they're enjoying it. And relishing the fact that you were able to give something to them for them to enjoy. Here's what I know. We all have a way that we go about trying to enjoy our money. Believers have a way. Non-believers have a way. Atheists have a way. But God's way of enjoying it is so much better. And we've talked about that. And we've looked at that. We've drilled that in week after week through this series. And here's what God's way is. God says, here's what I want you to live on. I want you to live on this. I want you to live on the 90%. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this. And I want you to trust me with it. I want you to prove me faithful with it. I want you to lay it out there. And I want you to sit back. And I want to show you how I'm going to richly give to you because you've dared to live life with the open hand. Because you've taken this and you've been invested in things that are only going to, the only thing that's ever going to outlast this old earth, and that is souls. You've invested it in eternal things, kingdom things. You've stored up treasures in heaven. You're not taking 100% and storing it up in things of this earth that's someday going to burn. And that's why last, last week, folks, that's why we, we handed out to you this. I don't know how many of you got to look at this last week, our 2019 celebration story. And the reason why I'm bringing it up today is because there are those of you who weren't here last week. And what this is is just a collection of a lot of the great things that God has done through the ministry of Bachelor Creek, through your faithfulness, through our faithfulness collectively to give to the ministry of this church. And we see what God has done through people who went on mission trips and the number of souls that came to Christ this year. And there's all sorts of information in here just to celebrate what God has done through Bachelor Creek. And if you didn't get one of these, we've got some up here on the stage on my right and on my left. We've got some at the Welcome Center out there. If you want to get one, we're asking you only take one per family. But we want you to have this because as it says in the very back, this does not happen without you. And I'm going to tell you what, folks. This all represents people. And people are the only thing that's going to last forever. However... We're not all convinced. Because do you know what most people, including a lot of people who are here today, who are listening to me, do you know what a lot of us are convinced that it takes for us to enjoy our money? We're convinced with one word that this is what it would really take for me to really enjoy it. You know what that word is? More. More. But if I had more... I would enjoy it. Then I would really enjoy it if I just had more. Listen to this guy's mistake that he makes, the rich fool, Luke 12, 18. Then he said, here's what he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough 
room to store all my wheat and other goods. Did you see the mistake that he made? Did you catch that trap that he set for himself? That, that subtle little word, but that very important word, the very first word of the second sentence. You know what it is? What's the key word there? Then. I got a lot now, but I can't enjoy it now. I can only enjoy it then, only when I build bigger barns, only when I've got enough in reserve. Then I'll be able to enjoy it. Let me tell you what, friends. As long as you need more to enjoy what you already have, you're never really going to enjoy it. Because what you've done for yourself is you've set up a chase and you've set up a pursuit that you will never, ever, ever be able to satisfy because that is the myth of more, that there's never enough. And our culture preys on this idea in human beings. I got a letter this last week in the mail. I opened it up. And it said, Dear Mr. David, we are so happy to inform you that as a preferred customer, we are increasing your credit line by this many thousands of dollars. And you know what? They said stuff about me in that letter that made me realize <laughs> not just everybody gets one of these letters. <laughs> right? Of course you know I'm being sarcastic. Y'all get these letters, right? In fact, the credit card industry sends out 4 billion solicitation letters every year. That's enough for every man, woman, and child in our country to receive 12, one a month for the whole year. I mean, I hear from them more than I hear from my own family. Anybody else? My point is this. What keeps people from excelling at the grace of giving, what we talked about last week, is this ramped up debt problem in our culture. And debt makes people, they live with this sense of pressure and this sense of bondage. And Solomon said in Proverbs that the borrower is slave to the lender. And there's just all sorts of things that are accompanied with debt. There's shame. People who, before debt, were honest and trustworthy, and after debt, they get a little shady and untrustworthy, and they start breaking commitments. And it's like people open up this drawer in their home, and it's just a drawer of shame, because there's all these final notices and unpaid bills and unopened mail, because you know what, it, it just speaks shame to you. Here's what I know. Christ does not want that for your life. He doesn't want that for my life. And because Christ doesn't want that, we don't want that for you. So here's what I want, I want you to listen up. Starting in January of 2020, we're going to offer a class here at Bachelor Creek on Sunday mornings and Tuesday evenings. It's called Financial Peace University. And Financial Peace is a nationally renowned biblical program to help you get control of your money instead of your money controlling you. It's to help you to get to the point where you can actually enjoy what it is that your heavenly father puts in your hand instead of being a slave and a servant to all the creditors. 
It'll give you a biblical perspective of money. And it'll hopefully get you to the point in life where you can excel at the grace of giving, where you can live life with an open hand. So if you've got questions about this, we've got sign-ups today out in the foyer. Pat Unger or Brandon Frank will be there. You can ask them about it, Ryan Time or myself. Pat, I know, has been through financial peace years ago. He loves it. He loves to see what it does in people's life, and he will be there to help coach you through the things that you need help with because he's seen the difference it can make in his life and the life of others. So that'll help us bridge the gap between where God wants us and where we are. Financial peace is a way for you to get there, folks. Sunday mornings, Tuesday nights. I think it's about eight weeks or so, the course. So anyway, King Solomon blows up this myth of more. Here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 5.10. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. So more is not the answer. The answer is not in more. In fact, you know who I think of when I think of more this time of year? There's a popular story at Christmas about somebody who's consumed with more and more and more and more, and it costs him relationships and it costs him happiness. You know what his name is? Scrooge. Yeah, we're familiar with him, right? Some of you live with him, right? Anyway, listen, starting next Sunday, we're going to do a Christmas series that gets us all the way through Christmas, and it's going to be all based upon that story, A Christmas Carol. And we're going to talk about old Scrooge, and we're going to see where we are, past, present, and future with Scrooge, okay? So make sure this week, if you can, try to pop in a DVD or catch it on a Christmas channel and watch a Christmas story so you can really stay with where we're at in that series, right? But Scrooge lived under the myth of more, and it almost cost him his soul. And there's a better word. There's a word that Jesus wants his people to embrace. It's not the word more. You know what the word is? And this is going to hurt some people because we don't like to be told this word. Here's the word. It's the word enough. It's the, it's, it's the idea that you already have enough to enjoy what God has given you, whether you have big barns or whether you have small barns. And I can enjoy it, not then, but I can enjoy it right now. If I trust God with it now, I can enjoy it right now. Here's what I know. Enjoyment comes from contentment. But a lot of people avoid contentment because they think that that, they think that, that gets in the way of them enjoying it, right? Well, I can't be content because then I can't enjoy it. In fact, a lot of you this morning would say, that the whole reason you put your feet on a path to more is because you feel like the people who live with a sense of contentment, you feel like content people are lazy people. Content people have simply settled for less. And God has made me for so much more, so I'm going to live for more. But here's the truth. The content person is the person who's able to enjoy what they already have. And you know who teaches this the best? Our old friend Paul, who wrote the same thing he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 6, 17. He writes this in Philippians 4, 13. Listen to what he says. Some of you know this verse. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. 
Now, I assure you, there is no other Bible verse that's probably on more bumper stickers, more coffee mugs, more t-shirts, more bookmarkers than this verse. Some of you might even say, this is my life verse, Philippians 4.13, yes! And you know where we've seen this verse adopted a lot? The world of sports, right? The sports world, the Christians in the sports world have taken this verse. Tim Tebow with the eye black under his eyes when he played football, Philippians 4.13. Evander Holyfield on his boxing chunks as he's getting ready to get in the ring. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now I'm glad that our athletes want to be a public witness for Jesus, but i got to be honest with you folks. When Paul penned this verse, I don't think that he penned it talking about winning Super Bowls, winning World Series, losing that 50 pounds on my diet, getting promoted at work, becoming president. He was in prison. He did not look like a winner. He was not a strong man. He was a man who lived with the strong conviction that Jesus Christ would match every situation Paul found himself in. Because I want you to listen to what Paul says right after, right before he says he can do everything through Christ who gives him strength. Here's what he says. For I have learned how to be, say the word, content with whatever I've had. I've learned the secret of, joying, of enjoying 100% of it 100% of the time is what he's saying. I, now, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've been on both ends of the spectrum, he says. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. And here's the kicker. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You know what he's saying? I can be content with the power of Jesus with whatever situation I am in. And again, you remember where Paul was writing this from? Was he writing it from Starbucks on Wi-Fi? Was he writing it from a nice sandy beach? A five-star hotel? Where was he writing it from, folks? In prison, under Roman arrest. And my hope is, as we end this today, my hope is that you will be less like barn guy, the rich fool, and you'll be more and more and more like Paul. Who, when he got to the end of his life, do you remember what he said? He said, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. You can live by that motto or you can live by the motto that says eat, drink, and be merry. Folks, I got news for you. If your life motto is something that a college fraternity guy can do without even thinking about it, eat, drink, be merry, You need a whole new motto. Because you and I were made for so much more than that. God really does want something more for each of us. And it's not about tithe, 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 tithe. It's about trust me, trust me, trust me, 
trust me. Let me show you my faithfulness. You were made. I was made to be rich toward God. Let's pray about this right now. Father, we come to you as the great giver. The giver of eternal life. The giver of hope in dire situations. The giver of answers when we have doubts. The giver of joy when we walk in your ways. Your hand is a hand of abundance, Lord, just waiting to pour it out on your children who dare to trust you. So increase our faith, Lord. Help us to be faithful. Help us to not be seduced by the, the myth of more. But help us to live by the model and the word of enough. I thank you, Lord, that you want us to be rich toward and we know that Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things, these things we fret and we worry and we get frantic about, all these other things will, will be given to you. They'll take care of themselves. But you are our first goal and destination. And help us, Lord, to live that and to walk that and to prove that you are that by living the life of the open hand. Father, I pray right now for just a conviction in the hearts of those who are here today, for people to test you, to call you out, for you to prove yourself as you say you will, knowing, Lord, that you will show yourself faithful. So, Lord, be with us. Increase our faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.